Welcome to Smart in the City, the Babel podcast. I am your host, Tamlin Shimizu. And really at Babel, we aim to connect the players in the smart city industry with high quality information and ideas through our platform and services. This podcast is really an extension of this goal and mission to drive the change for a better urban life. Just want to intermit here a bit to tell our listeners that the Solutions for Cities Guide by Solar Impulse Foundation is coming out on the 14th of November. So make sure to stay tuned and you'll be able to download it also from the Babel platform. Um, and there's also a webinar. So I'll link that in the show notes. So make sure to check it out. So today we are talking circular economy and especially how a notable city in Europe is tackling many challenges with waste and other challenges, of course, and also how our guest today is helping to create a world with a circular economy. So a very exciting topic um, that we haven't really touched on much before. So Without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Wojta Wosecki, um, who is the chairman of the Steering Group for Circular Economy in Prague. He is also an associate of Circle Economy, and he is relentlessly on the pursuit of making a world without waste and works with both public and private sector and everybody in between. So welcome, Wojta. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to have you. Sorry for um, probably mispronouncing your name, but <laughs> um, you, it's Voita, though, right? It's Voita. Okay. You're actually really good at that. I hope everyone was <laughs> as good as you were today, so no worries. Okay. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much for coming and talking to us. I've read some of your work, and I've... Um, I've also listened to some of the things that you have to say, and I actually reached out to you because of that. So I'm really looking forward to all of your insights on everything circular economy. So I like to do a bit of a teaser to get us warmed up and into the flow of the questions. And so one of the podcasts that I heard you on um, was the Solar Impulse Foundation podcast called Solutions for Cities. And that's how I found you as well. Um, and that was a bit back. I, I'm going to test, not really test your memory, though. Um, but uh, in that episode, he asked you three words to describe Prague. Can you tell me three words that Prague is not? Three words that Prague is not. <laughs> Gosh, that's way harder. Way harder. I'm sorry. This is. is. <laughs> um, you really caught me off guard here, but... Um... Let me think, what's not Prague? Well, I can tell you Prague is not circular yet. Mm. That's one mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a lot to do. Prague is not an outsider either. There's a lot happening. And uh, I wish everyone has heard our story. And it's the same for many other cities around the world. And Prague is not a place that you would want to miss because it's beautiful and I think everyone should visit. I agree. I love Prague. I was actually in uh, the second largest city in Czech Republic a few weeks ago, Brno. Um, and I was, I, I actually really fell in love with that city as well. But uh, Prague is an all-time favorite. You're from there originally, right? Yeah, I am. I'm born and raised in Prague. Lucky. Uh, in the downtown. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I consider myself lucky. Uh, but uh, I, I actually right now like live in Sweden, but I am in Prague 
very often. So it's uh, it's always nice to come back. Both nice places. Um, and with that, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about your story. I'm always intrigued to like what led you to a circular economy. What led you here? A little bit of your backstory. Yeah, I mean, happy to share that. I I didn't know what to do, honestly, when I was in my 20s. I started a university. It had a sustainability focus, but um, I was lost. And I believe, you know, many people in their 20s, just out of high school, are. Um, but then, you know, I had one lesson at the university. I still remember that. It was like a light bulb moment, really. You can imagine me sitting at this classroom looking a bit bored and suddenly there was this like beam of sunlight right at me when um, <laughs> there was a professor talking about environmental engineering and you know renewable energy waste water solar panels wind turbines and in that moment i was like okay this is it this is what i'm going to be doing for the rest of my life i just knew it deep inside my bones and um yeah, I haven't really stopped pursuing that journey ever since. So the next day I woke up, I, I looked up, you know, what's the best university in Europe to, to actually get to know the most about that? Because back then it, there was not too much to learn about circular economy in Czech. It's still a new topic, even on a university level. But Netherlands at that time was really, you know, jumping on that topic. And there was this, and still is this university called Wageningen, where I just, you know, Flight for Erasmus, then I did my whole master, and I became incredibly inspired by all the amazing, you know, colleagues, know-how, the fresh perspectives on what circular economy is, what does it mean for a city, for a company, for a society. So that that really um, was extremely inspiring, and uh, it's funny because I remember like my first course because I studied a program called Urban Environmental Management, which is pretty much, yeah, what I'm doing in Prague now. But back then I was just a student and I went to Netherlands and uh, and the first course, we had to write a, you know, a little, little study on like, where, how could you make your city more sustainable? And I was just like getting really deep down into the food system in Prague and how to, you know, turn food waste into uh, really precious, secondary materials such as biogas or fertilizers. And and I was like, why is this not happening in Prague? I mean, it's a no-brainer. And back then I was like, if I could sit one day with the mayor of Prague, you know, talking about this, making it happen, that would be a dream come true. And then, yeah, a couple of years later, it's just uh, where I landed. So I, I, I really consider myself very fortunate in that aspect. That's an incredible story. And I, I love the, the light bulb moments. That's like something from the movie. So yeah, thanks for telling us a bit about that. I'm wondering, so uh, when I was listening to your Solar Impulse Foundation episode, you mentioned that you find it a very collaborative environment in Europe between the cities. However, I've also seen a, a kind of competition as well, a competitive, whether it's a friendly competition or competition for funding. Um, do you think that cities ever stray away from the collaborative mindset? So I think that, um, you know, cities are many things. It's a complex environment. You have city-owned companies, they have to be competitive, right? You have a lot of 
organizations that constitute a city. But if you ask me about, you know, the local government, you know, as a city and their take on circular economy and what's their approach to collaboration, I, I only have good things to say. I think it's uh, not really competitive, even though we eat each other's budget sometimes when we apply to uh, funding from the EU, it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate, but actually often those calls are about multiple cities joining a proposal. And it was never difficult to find partners. Everyone is just like jumping on it. And because obviously the money is precious, um, the calls are very relevant, very competitive, but it doesn't make the cities compete directly. It's just the design uh, of those calls that, that only select a few, but often cities need to partner up with. And there's a tremendous network of circular economists, just like me in progress, other people in pretty much every major city or capital in Europe now. This is also pretty new. And we are all like loosely connected in different networks and uh, we support each other. And you know, when you have a question or problem, people are always there to, to uh, jump on a call, share what they have learned. Uh, and I think it's actually pretty rare and it's not often the case in different industries. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. Um, also, maybe I didn't plan on asking this, but I'm just wondering, maybe for some of our listeners, they, they've heard the term circular economy before, but maybe in your own words, to you, like what is circular economy? Sure. So circular economy, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a philosophy. But it, that can be a business strategy. It can be the way you design a city or build a, a school in a city. Uh, it's all about, uh, first of all, not producing waste, thinking how do I produce less waste, minimizing that. Um, and then it's about making sure that the resources that you operate with flow in perpetual loops without the loss of quality. I know it sounds mm -hmm. a bit um, fuzzy, but I often compare circular economy to nature because circular economy is inspired by natural processes. There is no waste in nature, right? If something dies or, or stops existing in nature, in a forest, it is all those things that constitute, even if it's an animal, tree, leaf, it just gets um, recycled to a perfection by yeah. all the other living organisms that are there. And this is how this balancing act is ensured forever in those continuous loops, uh, which are actually thriving. Uh, it's, those ecosystems are, of course, getting disrupted these days by human activity. Uh, but the idea of that can still be applied to the way that humans do business, design their products or services, or build their cities. So, yeah. yeah. So, so should everything be circular? It can't, really. There are chemical, physical limits to uh, the human world and how circular can that be. But if, if you ask me, if there's something 100% circular, I would say it's the nature. Mm -hmm. That's the only 100% circular thing there is. Our world of humans has started, you know, in circular societies a long time ago. But then, you know, um, we have evolved into a linear society, uh, especially 
in the last 100 or 200 years, ever since the Industrial Revolution, our society has transformed rapidly and our relationship to resources and waste has also changed. And mm -hmm. now the way that the system that we have designed is about extracting resources from the ground, making stuff out of them, ideally low cost, large quantities, consuming them, sometimes in an unhealthy fashion and, and, and fast fashion, and then disposing of them, throwing them away. But there's no way, right? There's no way in um, nature. There's always a place where that waste is going to end up. Our oceans, landfills, and if we burn it, well, then you get a little bit of energy out of that. But the resources are lost anyway. You're not going to make a new T-shirt out of a tissue you just burned down the chimney. So we need to get away from the linear economy. Yeah, but um, a bit of devil's advocate. Do you, do you think that the world will actually ever be circular? Um, like, how optimistic do you feel that we're like actually headed in the right direction? We have data that show that we're actually getting further and further away from that goal. Uh, so what we see is that you know the more humans we are and the more that we consume in this linear society we have designed. The, the, the gap, as we call it, the circularity gap, is just getting bigger. We're less and less circular as a planet. Um, but this can be changed. There are strategies. We know the way. We will never be 100% circular. It's, it's not possible. But we can get pretty damn close to it in certain industries. And um, that's a must. It, 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 uh, you know, it, we cannot ignore it because... A lot of people talk about renewable energy as the, the only way that's going to save climate, that's going to reduce our carbon footprint. And I say, yes, it is essential, but it's only uh, one side of the same coin. A lot of carbon emissions are embedded in the stuff that we use, in, the way, in, in our clothes, in our laptops, in our phones, in our cars. And that's not necessarily related to renewable energy. It's more how long do we keep those resources in the loop? And if we need to make a new car, new phone, or new T-shirt, we should work with more people who have taken from the ground to stop the extraction and the ecosystem collapse. And that, if we do that, if we go circle in that aspect, will get us to meet the Paris goals quite comfortably. There are studies on that. So what we say is that we cannot get to net zero without circularity. It's a massive concept. We will never be fully circular, but at the same time, we will not solve climate change if we don't try to yeah. go circular. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's absolutely fundamental in what we're doing. And uh, I've also seen this. You mentioned fa you throw away things in a fast fashion. And it, of course, reminds me then it's kind of a play on words of fast fashion. Um, you see this kind of escalation of so many of these industries. Um, do you think that this is, of course, uh, with capitalism, it's kind of correlated there, right? So can we have circular economy and capitalism? Whoa. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, back in the days I told myself, I, it's this, probably I would need a, also a philosophy degree to, <laughs> to properly answer this question. Um, I, I don't know. Look, you know, I come from Czech Republic. We've had our share of communism. 
And that yeah. was not good. Yeah. That was really, <laughs> really bad. Uh, capitalism is, from an environmental perspective, also destroying our planet. Um, I think we need to find alternatives for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. In this, this the way that we've set it up is not healthy. The 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 the, the way the finance works, and the, the way that we focus on growth as the only indicator of success, and I mean GDP growth, economical growth. Mm -hmm. uh, we're always just um, going to make things worse because, you know, there is no infinite growth on a finite planet. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people pretend, politicians, you know, businesses, they pretend like there is. It's always to, you know, if, if the GDP is down, it's bad. If the GDP is up, it's good. But it, it just... There, there are limits to that, yeah. you know, and um, right now we're, we're seeing those limits. And imagine, you know, if, if we don't change anything and if those 8 billion people reach the same living standards as Americans, there's just not enough resources uh, on this and, and, and ecosystem services that would be able to provide this in a, in a safe manner. So we need to reevaluate, like, what are we striving for? And as long as it is to make profit and, and, uh, and consume because of that, then I think, yeah, we, we have a huge systemic issue. But um, at the same time, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. That was, that was just something that came to my mind while you were speaking. So thanks for rolling with that. I know it's a bit of a, it's, it's definitely quite tricky. I would, I would also say that then the trick to it is um, making circular economy profitable, also economically viable at the same time, right? So when um, sometimes now for, you know, fashion companies, um, when people do returns, it's actually cheaper for them to throw away the clothes than for them to, you know, make them look nice and um, send them out again. Um, but how then, you know, I, I think all of these solutions are really based around making circular economy also economically viable. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, of course. But let me just come back a little bit to the last question, yeah. because there is one thing we should totally challenge, especially here in Global North, and that's the consumption. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, don't ask me how it's related to capitalism or communism. I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 we would need a new podcast for that. But, <laughs> um, but the consumption is, is a big issue because, mm -hmm. yes, we, we consume more than we need and we consume more than we should. Um, uh, I'm looking at, you know, the, and often, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy around this, not intentionally. Look at the Nordics. So Denmark, you know, it often strikes or scores the highest in different global sustainability rankings mm -hmm. because... The water is clean, the air is clean, the grid is clean, it's low carbon energy system, and so Yet, if everyone lived like the Danes, we would need five planets because mm. they have two cars, two houses. They just... So we have to become a bit more humble with our relation to resources and consumption, yeah. I feel. And this is where I see also the huge power of circular economy a lot of people think of circular economy as okay we just recycle everything and that's it no it's it's much more than that it's about 
look at cars, for example, you know, like most of the cars are parked 93% of the time that we own them. Yeah. And it's just steel, aluminum, glass, and plastic sitting on our streets without being used. We can, there are large efficiencies we can gain in our societies by utilizing all kinds of products and resources much better. And this is, could be revolutionary. Uh, and it's not just about cars. It's about everything else around us. And this is where I see the role of circular business models as uh, very important. Circular business models are exactly sort of circular economy other principles, but to get it work, you need business models. You need to, instead of selling products, you need to rent them as a service and so on and so yeah. on. And some of them are profitable. Some of them uh, need scaling up. Some of them haven't been able to scale up. And there's various reasons for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so you know, like mobility as a service. Um, so it could be, you know, circular economy as a service, right? Circularity as a service, really. Yeah, um, you mm. have a light as a service, carpet as a service, you can have laundry mm -hmm. as a service, you can have a phone as a service. And, uh, and sometimes you don't even, you can also, another very interesting trend that I see is dematerialization. I hope I pronounced it correctly, but sometimes... Uh, you don't even need physical stuff to to do what you need to do to consume what what you need to consume. Um, it, there's a famous picture of a guy in the 90s, and he has like phone, camera, radio, headphones, recorder, 20 different gadgets that right now fit into one phone yeah. that we all have in our pockets. Trying to make that happen in different industries, you know, is also a very interesting way to move forward. Yeah, really interesting. Um, can we put this all this discussion a little bit more on the ground now? Um, it, you mentioned in in the Solutions for Cities podcast um, that a favorite project of yours in Prague is called Reuse Sundays, which is uh, how I understand it, a day of swaps that the local communities can do, right? Um, can you, uh, first of all, maybe just give another sentence for the people who didn't get the chance to listen to that episode about what that is? And the question is also, what do you think would stop other cities um, from being able to implement something similar? Sure. So Reuse Sundays are exactly what you just said. It's community-based swaps that the city kind of provides the resources for. So we provide the space, you know, we chip in a little bit of money for the local NGO to, to, you know, to make it happen over the weekend, to promote it and so on. Um, and it doesn't cost so much and it attracts hundreds and thousands of people every time we do it. It's crazy. We were astonished by the interest from the local communities, you know. Um, and the funny story was that the first time we did that, we were afraid that people were just dump all their things that would bring there. So we, what we tell them is that like, bring whatever you don't need, and hopefully, you know, it will get swapped and we will help you organize it. The books will go there, the clothes, you can leave them there, whatever. And the first time we did it, we also ordered a big container from a waste management company to throw away everything that's left, right? Because, yeah, what are we going to do with it? Well, that container was totally empty at the end of the day. There was nothing left after all that swap. And that was like 600 people bringing and leaving with all kinds of different stuff. So it's a big success. 
And uh, we are scaling the program now for next year. We, we started with a couple neighborhoods. Now we're going to have 10. And we're also going to design a blueprint for every neighborhood in Prague to be able to do it on their oh, own wow. without our support. So we hope this is a thing that can repeat in all the Prague districts regularly. And not once a year, but maybe even several times a year. I think it's extremely easy, replicable concept. It's not a rocket science. It's very simple. Doesn't cost much. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a very low hanging fruit for any kind of city to foster the reuse and swaps in, in its own local communities. Yeah. What do you think is stopping some cities from implementing things like this? Cities like large-scale technical solutions say it's mm. you would be surprised it's easy to get 100 million euros on big facility to do something than 1 million euros on 20 different small community-based projects. Yeah. It's mm. sometimes really almost uh, hard to believe, but it's True, because you, you need the same amount of energy to convince your colleagues to make a case, to get it through the council and the city assembly, get the bureaucrats on board, come up with a, um, uh, the tender, select the one who's going to do it. And then, you know, when you're, okay, well, what do I spend my time on? Is it something big that will, that we can calculate how much carbon emissions will it save, how, how many tons? Will it recycle or is it those fluffy things that um, we all know are important but are hard to measure, calculate? Uh, so it's, it's also a matter of style. Some, some people might prefer that, others not. It comes down to personal responsibilities. I would say that this could be the case. Yeah. 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 Thanks so much for sharing. And uh, I know you, because of course the, your work in Prague is uh, is quite widespread. But I also wonder about your other work that you do. Um, do you have another favorite project or something else you have worked on besides that work in Prague? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> too many to count. I do. I do exactly. <laughs> it's maybe too many. But Prague is my favorite for sure. I have my own clients that I've been uh, helping. So one of them is um, a big mineral bottled water producer mm. uh, and they want to go circular. And that, I think it's also a pretty cool challenge worth solving. They all want to go all into this, you know, punt deposit systems. I think in the US it's called water belts, you know, mm. to make sure that the, the bottles are reused and recycled over and over and over, which is not the case in Europe and especially not in Czech. Uh, and here in the Nordics, yeah, it's fantastic. There's so much happening. Uh, my role here is just to support other cities and businesses or even nations to, so they understand you know, where they are and where do they need to go. Uh, I love all my projects. It's hard <laughs> to pick the favorite ones. Yeah, that's okay. I won't. I won't make you pick favorites um, too much on this show. So, um, just a, a couple more questions, maybe. Um, for, on, on the Solar Impulse Foundation episode, you um, mentioned political support and using procurement as powerful tools. Both, um, however, I also see these as huge hindrances and challenges um, for municipalities, of course. So, first off, with political support. Like you either have it or you don't, right? Or what can city workers and representatives 
do to maybe get more politicians on board with circular initiatives? It's true. It, it really depends on like what kind of spectrum are your local politicians at. Some mm. even have an anti-climate agenda. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely much harder system to operate in. Although, again, I feel like when it comes to circular economy, we're lucky because often the solutions that we propose have a strong business case. So even you, let's say, have a conservative right-wing government not so concerned about the environment, they will listen if you have a strong business case for them. And actually, it's not that bad because if you have a strong business case, which is also good for the environment, there you have a scalable solution that is able to operate without being you know, able to just use a lot of taxpayer money to, to thrive and live. Some projects like our swaps in Prague, they don't have a business case, but they're important. Others do. So I think if you are a circle economist, like you just got to be smart. And I think, you know, you, the, the, the magic and the power of circle economy is that you can have a discussion with anyone, really. It could be an NGO, corporate, or a conservative or a super liberal green political leadership. Mm-hmm. You just have to use different arguments and different data, but still follow your cause. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And tailoring the messaging, I think. Um, also, super, super good lesson here, I think, is what you're talking about, the business case. Um, really making it, uh, as I mentioned before, on the economic scale of things. Also, uh, politicians, no matter who they are, they they see a good business case and they'll go for it, right? So, um, yeah, super important. Thanks. Uh, and and then on the procurement side of things, of course, um, we also see huge challenges with procurement. Um, do you have any tips here on how to make procurement really a tool, as you mentioned in that podcast? Yeah, it is a powerful tool. It mm-hmm. is the most powerful tool, tool cities have mm-hmm. to foster well, what are, whatever they want to foster. But it yeah. could be circular economy. But it's um, it, just imagine like you have, you're building a bridge. You, you're buying 50,000 police uniforms. You're buying 100 trams. It's your money. It's actually taxpayer money. But it, it's there to, you know, to buy something. And it's you as a city who's buying you have a say in what are you buying and under what conditions. And it's, you can add a few lines to make an awesome circular procurement for 50,000 police uniforms. As long as you say, I want to make sure that whoever is delivering the solution will take our repairs and take back. And mm-hmm. that will make sure that this doesn't end up on landfill, but actually something new is created out of that. Maybe we can upcycle it to something that the city can use again. It, there's so many examples like that you could use. And um, every circle of procurement creates a direct demand for circle of business model. And uh, this is how the cities can have a large impact on startup scene, on the business scene that can, you know, actually go way beyond the city boundaries. Cities can have a very interesting initiating role because they can move quite fast with public procurement. Uh, now, it is hard. Uh, there's so much to do in Prague. There are cities that are doing way better job at this than us. I would suggest everyone to look at what Malmo is doing, for example, Malmo in Sweden. Um, but 
often when you bring this up to the procurement department, like the first thing they say is that, yeah, this is great, but we're already way too busy. We're swamped. Yeah. Because people, you know, when you come to them with any kind of procurement needs, you need it fast, you need it cheap, and of course you need it by, by the book. And that's already a huge challenge for them. And then you add this new aspect. Often they don't understand. They haven't been trained. They're not circle economists. They're not climate change experts. Uh, they are buying everything the city needs. So you need to train them. You need to provide them with new capacity. There needs to be new member or members on the team. Otherwise, it's not going to fly without it. There needs to be guideline. So what we call a, would be a blue book or a cookbook, you know, hey, these are the top 10 things you should think of every procurement about, I don't know, 200 million euros to make it a bit easy for them and impactful for the city. And then you should also, when it comes to procurement, my tip to whoever's listening, if you're in that sphere, would be um, to engage other big buyers in the city because it's not only always the city itself. Cities, especially in Europe, they own a lot of different utilities and they are run by their own city-owned companies and they have their own purchasing departments, very specialized. So it could be waste management, could be um, the infrastructure company, it could be the transportation company, it could be the water management company. They all need a lot of stuff and then you should kind of make sure that the procurement strategy is not so much centralized in the central municipal government and gets disseminated into other big buyers that the city has an authority over. So when you have ownership of the company, then you, you can just tell them, hey, this is, you need to do it. Yeah. And they, they have to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, really, really great tip. Also about, you know, writing accountability really into the procurement process um, for cities. So um, with that, I'll leave behind the most serious part of our interview. Um, and I'll move a little bit into a segment we like to do. Um, and that is, we have for you one of my favorite segments today, and it's called Roll with the Punches. Roll with the Punches. Answer this or that questions quickly and with your first instincts. Um, and then afterwards, after we're done with all the questions, then you can explain a little bit if you need. But basically, it's just uh, this or that, and you just pick one. So not always logical, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> okay. Are, are you Let's ready? <laughs> I'm not sure. But bring it on. <laughs> okay, bring it on. I like the attitude. So uh, reduce or reuse? Reduce. Public transportation or bike sharing? Public transportation. Recycled or biodegradable? Recycled. Prague in summer or winter? Definitely summer. <laughs> good, good. Uh, it wasn't too painful, right? <laughs> no, no, it was actually fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bike sharing was tricky, though, because obviously it's a good one, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you got me there, but otherwise, do you I want stand to... firmly behind my reply. Yeah, good, good. I, I think I understand the reduce and reuse. I think you you explained that pretty well before, also. Um. So, uh, but what about the recycled or biodegradable? Right. Yeah. So, um, 
not a big fan of what is marketed and sold mm. today as biodegradable. The big challenges behind that, a lot of greenwashing, um, and often it's about packaging. Yeah. And it's not biodegradable. It's not. <laughs> it doesn't biodegrade. Never. Not even in the lab. Definitely not when you throw it in a forest. Uh, so. So we need more standards it, behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so I think it's it's important aspect of uh, design for circularity, but we shouldn't mix it up with solutions that are already out there and work. So biodegradability is a great tool, for example, in farming, where they used a lot of plastic to uh, for mulching. That's a thing, you know, you, you grow vegetables, you cover the field, uh, you cut small holes, and then the vegetables kind of, you know, they grow through it. And then when you harvest it, often that plastic folly is just crushed and mixed together in the ground. And that's how you'd be surprised how many thousands of tons of plastic actually enter our soils every year because of that. Um, there's just no better option than if that folly was biodegradable. Mm. But if, if you start entering or introducing biodegradability to, let's say, consumer packaging when it comes to your drinks or when it comes to uh, you go shopping to a supermarket, you get a biodegradable plastic bag. Uh, I am afraid that it often incentivizes people to just, okay, it's biodegradable, it's good for the nature. Doesn't matter if I just throw it away. Maybe I will add some valuable nutrients to this beautiful <laughs> little park over here. Mm. Uh, it's an extreme example. Yeah. Um, what's happening, for example, in Prague with a lot of biodegradable packaging is that it enters our plastic stream. And that's bad for everyone because it, it's not plastics. It cannot be recycled as plastics. Uh, but the machines that are there to separate uh, do not recognize it. So it mixes up and then it makes it harder downstream to actually turn the rest into valuable other resources. Yeah. But if you then bring it to composting side instead, they don't want it either because they're like, yeah, this is not compostable. Uh, it's, it's not going to biodegrade in uh, our processes either and the farmers don't want it either so you have to put it in a black bin and burn it and that's pretty much one of the worst things you can do with that yeah it's an extreme example i'm being selective here biodegradability is broader than that i picked two you know one good and one bad uh there's a lot of space in the middle but yeah. i the recyclability is a bit more safer and proven yeah. Solution. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then I just have one last question, and it is a question we ask every single guest. As you know, you're on a Smart City podcast, so um, we have to ask this question, and it's to you: What is a smart city? Hmm. Smart city to me is a city that doesn't waste its potential, doesn't waste the time of its uh, citizens on unnecessary tasks or unnecessary you know, travel distances and so on. But it's a city that works for everyone efficiently um, and in harmony with you know, uh, technologies, the people living in it, and the environment as well. Yeah, I thought you were going to say a smart city is a circular city. 
So you you threw in uh, some no, it's good. Um, I, it's just not what I expected. So yeah, I, I don't. I just you know, being in this world for several years, I never saw those t- worlds actually intertwine. It's it's usually a different crowd. Yeah. When you go to smart city conference, no one talks about circular economy, and when you go to circular economy conference, no one talks about smart city. But often we're in the same business and we want the same thing. So, and the energy aspect, I think, and and the sharing economy is, I think, where those two worlds meet. So much of it intersects. I I really don't don't have a clear like line in my head where a smart city stops and a circular economy begins. Um, so I think it's super important that we're talking about this today. And uh, with that, I just want to say that this has been a very insightful conversation for me. And I know that all the listeners are going to feel the same way. Um, and hopefully that we can merge these two concepts a bit more in people's heads that, you know, the people working for smart cities are also working for circular economy and vice versa as well. We're all on the same side working towards the same goals so um and we we I, I was going to say anyways we don't talk enough about circular economy in smart cities and you said it perfectly before so this is the that bridge um to to circular economy so thank you so much for your time um and all your knowledge it's been it's been an absolute pre- pleasure and i hope to see you also in person sometime soon in gothenburg where you live right um and pro or prague i'll gladly take prague so uh yeah thank you so much <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks uh, to everyone who's listening. Don't hesitate to reach out if something was inspiring. If you have any questions, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. And yeah, let's definitely meet over some good beer in Prague or something else here in the Nordics. Sounds wonderful. And uh, to yeah, to all of our listeners, don't forget you can always create a free account on babble-smartcities.eu to find out more about some smart city projects. There's also some circular economy projects and solutions and implementations on there. So uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life. 